This is a Relay Project. Real Talk starts right now. Here's Ryan Jesperson. Friends, we welcome you to Real Talk on this March 17th on the St. Patrick's Day morning. As you may expect, uh, if you're if you're uh, catching this podcast or streaming this YouTube episode from the city of Edmonton uh, or anywhere in Canada, for that matter, we've changed our editorial editorial plan today uh, out of the gates yesterday on Thursday's episode. We had just learned about the tragic shootings, the tragic murders of two Edmonton police officers. We didn't have any details. We knew where the uh, general area was that it had occurred. Uh, We knew that there had been fatalities. We knew that it had been a domestic call that the officers had responded to, but that was about it. Today, we know more. We know their names. Constable Travis Jordan, 35 years of age. Constable Brett Ryan, 30 years of age. Both of them Edmonton police officers for more than five years. Constable Jordan serving for eight and a half Constable Ryan, five and a half, both of them invested community members and not just in policing, brothers, friends, husbands, a father to be today. We'll get to know them a little bit more today. We're going to meet a real talker who's served with the RCMP and who's experienced loss like this. On an unimaginable front, three different occasions. I'm going to introduce you to John Kirkman in just a second. And we've canceled our political roundtable for today. We'll bring them back another Friday here on the show. But today's Real Talk roundtable presented by Urban Timbers is going to be three friends of mine. Because I figured that this show should do what Canadians are doing when they learn about public servants that lose their lives in the line of duty. They talk to their friends, they get together, they share their thoughts and their feelings. And if this show's not doing that, then this show's not doing its job. And so we welcome you officially to a special and heavy hearted edition of Real Talk as we serve, recognize and participate in a community in mourning. Edmonton's police chief, Dale McPhee, yesterday had this to say about Constables Jordan and Ryan. Constables Jordan and Ryan were valued members of our EPS family, and they work side by side with us every day in service to our community, and I can't tell you how devastated we are with their loss. We know that their family and friends, their EPS family, and our entire community will be profoundly impacted by this incident but we must all be there for each other. This is a time where we lean in and lean on each other. This morning, we are working hard to look after the families and coworkers who are most impacted by this tragedy. These two members died in service and protection of our community and their lives and sacrifice will not be forgotten. I was Edmonton Police Chief Dale McPhee yesterday. This morning, we're joined by a former RCMP officer. He's a member of the Real Talk community, and he's making his debut on the show today, John Kirkman. I'm grateful that you've made the trip into studio uh, to join me. Thank you for that. Yeah, Thank you for asking me. Um, I'm truly humbled by it, to be honest. Yeah. You reached out, and, and uh, you and I have known each other personally for a little bit, Yeah, um, but not too well. No, no, just and acquaintances, actually, but talking I, here and there, yeah. I didn't know. Uh, about uh, the details of your service, which have included uh, loss in Mayerthorpe, in Wetaskiwin, and in St. Albert. And I'm grateful that you're here to talk about that. Can you tell us, just as a former law enforcement officer, generally speaking, uh, your first thought or how you processed the news yesterday when we heard about the the loss of Constables Jordan and Ryan? I mean, people say gut punch, and it's a little bit cliche, but it is. I mean, it kind of takes your breath away. You feel it um, like an iron ball in the pit of your stomach. It just twists you, and uh, immediately you start looking at your 
Twitter and your social media and checking your text messages and, and seeing what people are talking about. Um, because you want, like everybody else, you want to know what happened. You want to know how could this happen. You want to know all the, you know, whatever you can find out about it. Who were they, you know? Um, and it's just all the unanswered questions and the, the heavy heartedness, like you said, that just, it's sort of just, you just need answers. You need to know, um, and you need to hear from people that you care about. Um, there are <clears throat> some parallels to your story and the story of these officers that uh, had served the EPS, uh, one of them, an EMT, before he became a police officer, his wife, a nurse who was on duty at the Royal Alexandra Hospital when he was brought in. Your wife is a nurse. Paramedic. Paramedic, yeah. pardon me, uh, with STARS. Yeah, uh, just got hired with STARS, and she's also in Muscochese. So you've, you've got a, a family that <laughs> has worked in first response. Yeah. Uh, are families that that work in first response or families that include members who are first responders wired a little bit differently, do you think, with their perspective? We talked yesterday about the inherent risks of a job like this and how difficult not it just must be to have a job where you go to work every day not knowing what you'll encounter. But if it's your husband or your wife or your son or your daughter, your mom or your dad that's doing that, uh, it's a family that walks miles in boots that most people can't really understand. Yeah, so it's kind of a double-edged sword because on one hand, you know you have someone there who understands what you went through that day. And you know, if, if your husband or wife or significant other doesn't do the job and you try to explain to them or try to shield them from what you do, you don't really have that connection. But um, when you do have that connection with your spouse or significant other, you can dump on them. You can let them know what happened during the day and they really understand it. They get it. But on the other hand, then you also know what they're exposed to during the day. You know the dangers they're going into. You know the risks they have. Uh, you know that they might not come home. So it, it is, it's, it's a blessing and a curse at the same time. Two weeks ago, today, we observed the 18th mark, the 18th year anniversary of that Mayersthorpe tragedy. I can't believe it was 18 yeah. years ago already. I remember me. where <laughs> I was. I was starting my media career in Red Deer, not too far from Mayersthorpe. I remember the police scanner going off. I remember news crews mobilizing. Uh, we remember uh, vehicles from RCMPK division in Edmonton whizzing down the highway to make their way there. 18 years ago, right around this time, you were a paramedic. EMT, yeah. An EMT e in yeah. Marathon. EMS supervisor out there, yeah. And you were friends with the RCMP officers out there. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's kind of a unique twist of fate I had with those guys. Um, Constable Peter Sheeman and Leo Johnson, Oh, I should start that. I was in EMS there from like 99 to 05 and um, Peter started around the same time. So we kind of had this connection, both kind of new guys out there and, and we kind of hit a bit of a bond. And um, when you're in a small community like that, it's a bit of an island. So the first responders kind of hang out with the other first responders. It's people you can kind of let your guard down around, you can trust. Um, so you develop kind of a friendship and a bond. Sure. And uh, he would always try to put, like, he'd say, come on, when are you joining our side? When are you joining the RCMP? You know, I say, okay, I'll think about it. I'll think about it. Eventually, I decided, you know what? I am going to join the RCMP. You guys uh, both about the same age at that time, about 25-ish? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, so uh, I decided to apply. Um, Peter and Leo were actually two of my character references. And Peter would call me and say, how's the process going? Um, what's going on? Um, and I was, so I was neck deep in the process. And he called me and said, they you know, recruiting called me. They, they, you know, they want to know, or they asked me all these questions. I was really, he was all pumped up. He was jacked up. He's like, I think you're, you're good, man. You're good. You're going to get in. And, uh, that was one of the last times I talked to him alive. Um, and he, you know, after him and Leo were killed, uh, unfortunately I didn't know the other two as well. One was brand new and one was from white court. Um, yeah, there they are. I want to, want to mention all four of their names, <laughs> yeah, Anthony go Gordon, Leo Johnston, Brock Myrol, and Peter Sheeman. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, so they were just gone. And I mean, at that point I was in EMS. I was pretty established. Um, I could have just stayed in EMS and continued on my career and said, you know, I just saw my own mortality right in front of me um, and with the future I'm choosing. But I decided, no, I, I can't have gone this far and then not go through with it. So um, I went through with it, you know, obviously talked to people in my life, said this is kind of the thing that could happen. We've just seen it. Um, and Personal friends of yours. Personal friends of mine, colleagues. Uh, co-workers, uh, first responders, personal friends, you know, all of it, right? Um, 
but my family and friends are really supportive and said, if you still want to do this, we'll stick with you. And I did. I just, I went, I had, you know, I, I just felt a little bit duty bound to keep going. So you go to depot in yeah. Regina, you complete your training. I have to imagine you would have been thinking about your two buddies. hundred percent. I was in depot on the one year anniversary of their, of their deaths. So, um, we had a little cenotaph ceremony just at the, the depot, uh, cenotaph there. And, uh, it was really super emotional for me because it was still so fresh and uh, the whole troop was kind of supporting me in that, my graduating troop because it, I had such a personal tie to it. So, um, yeah, it, so it really affected Depot for me, but it also motivated me. Mm. Yeah. So you start your career and you get posted with Wetaskiwin, Wetaskiwin, your first posting? Yes, yeah. Yeah, so go to Wetaskiwin, um, you know, nothing, you know, just regular career, you know, nothing crazy happens. Um, go a couple years in and then uh, Constable Lundblad is killed in a car accident Well you know, while we were on duty and, uh, just outside of Wetaskiwin. And it's like, so at in the first incident, I was in EMS. So I was a first responder. I kind of knew what was going on. The second incident there with Constable Lundblad, um, I was, I mean, I was right there, you know, I was at the detachment. So it, that's a whole, that's a whole other level when you get to see the inner workings of what goes on, uh, when a member dies in the line of duty like that that was constable james lundblad, constable james lundblad who was who was yeah. killed on may 5th of yeah. 2009 yeah. uh when his his marked police cruiser he was he was involved in a motor vehicle accident yeah. that, that did ultimately claim his life a, a, a bit of a, a a different situation in the sense it was a collision with a grain truck near millet alberta on highway yeah. 2a uh he had just joined the rcmp uh well he had he had served for coming up on on eight years yeah no uh, he was survived by his parents lloyd and and Noella and his sister, Michelle. Yeah. And, and a consummate pro. Um, one of the last times I saw him, he was, he was in traffic. So they would do a lot of traffic stuff, impaired drivers and whatnot. And he'd brought an impaired driver in and I was a breath technician. So I would be the one taking the, you know, the intoxilizer samples and just an absolute pro all the way through the process. And we chit chatted afterwards and, um, exchanged paperwork like we do went about our business. And that was like the last time I talked to him alive. So mm -hmm. So there'd been about six years in between the Mayorthorpe tragedy. Um, I think that it deserves to be referred to as the Mayorthorpe murders. Right? Yeah, I yeah. want to call these what they are. These these EPS officers yesterday were murdered. Yeah. Uh, that is what it is. Um, you were in Wetaskiwin when this horrific accident happens. Yeah. Nobody intended for that crash to happen, but it reiterates to you the risk that comes with the job. Yeah, and it's, I mean, everyone thinks of, getting shot or, or hurt on the job as a result of a bad guy is kind of the big risk, but man, traffic accidents are no joke either. Guys are hurt all the time in traffic accidents. So, um, again, you're kind of faced with your potential loss of your own life, your own mortality and kind of questioning everything about the job. But, yeah. um, what I can tell you is when that happens at the detachment level, there there's, there's hurt, there's pain, but there's also a hyper-focus of the members who are there. Everybody wants a task. Everybody wants to help. Everybody wants to do something. Uh, members who are off-duty all come in. Uh, management all comes in. Surrounding detachment members all come in. So there's this real need to um, help have a task and go about your business. And, and the focus you see in the members when something like that happens is incredible, actually. So I heard a lot of people talking yesterday, and, and some of them are community leaders. We heard from the uh, Edmonton's police chief there. Obviously, Edmonton's mayor had a lot to say, as did uh, elected officials at, at varying levels. And, and then just average ordinary people saying, if you see a police officer at work today, Keep in mind what they're walking with. Yeah. Uh, some of them would have known these officers. Some of them may not have personally known them, but you don't need to personally know. Ask our audience. Ask the million people in Edmonton. Ask the 35 million people across the country. You don't have to know a first responder or a soldier or personally to feel that loss. Um, I'm driving through a grocery store parking lot yesterday, and I see a police cruiser out front, and I... I, I guess I just as a reflex, I, I reached out and opened my window and just gave them the thumbs up and they both waved. And I hope it meant a tiny little bit of something to them. Uh, what does it mean on the other side when, when when you're in that detachment? What does it mean as a law enforcement officer? How do you possibly continue the people that are on shift? I mean, I think about um, we have video here from uh, Rod Maldaner, a, a, co a former colleague of mine with City News. 
posted video yesterday of of these two officers uh, bodies being transported to the medical examiner and and it's a, an extremely powerful video as you see uh, police officers and and I think maybe you can correct me if I'm wrong but I can see by some of the uniforms uh, some of them are in positions of leadership I, I believe yeah. perhaps staff sergeants yeah. or or what have you uh but patrol officers mm-hmm. but they're on duty right now um as 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 these bodies are being uh, transported uh, for autopsy I'm I'm assuming um the uh the the task that these police officers had yesterday and today, uh, including those investigating the crime, I yeah. can't imagine. Yeah, no. Um, so it's really hard. Like you feel like you can't do anything, but in the same sense, you feel like you need to do everything you can. So the calls don't stop coming in. Um, people don't stop needing help. Um, you know, emergencies don't stop happening. You, the next call is going to come. So you have to go. Um, and nothing conditions you or prepares you for that. Um, you just hope that you have it. You hope that you're able to do it. Mm -hmm. And, um, yeah, seeing that line of officers there, that's, that's pretty, that's touching. I honestly uh, watched that 10 times. Like, like, and I'm, and I'm trying to imagine what they're thinking and we can't, we can't, you know, it's like you ask someone, what's it like to be a police officer? What's it like to, I mean, I, I was even trying to, I was trying to imagine these, these two men, you know, constables, Jordan and Ryan entering this building and, Perhaps we don't know what the 911 call sounded like. It's the, 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 the details that have unfolded are, I mean, they're horrific. It, it was an incident, it sounds like, involving a 16-year-old, the suspect in this case, who also died by suicide, uh, a 16-year-old kid, yeah. uh, his mother in hospital now um, uh, with, with life-threatening injuries. I mean, I think of these two officers that enter this building, and, and on one hand, I, I don't know if they knew a firearm was involved. Potentially they did. We'll have more details as they become available. Um, but, but also probably uh, the harsh reality is that it was maybe just another call. I mean, there, you know, officers are responding to calls like this involving, I hate to say it, domestic violence, in, involving family violence, involving gun violence, gang violence, um, and everything else. Uh, multiple times, I would imagine, every overnight or, or multiple times through the day, except for this one was different. Yeah, and you can go to some that sound really bad on the call information and get there and everything's calm. And you can go to ones that don't sound too bad. You maybe don't have very much information. Maybe just somebody heard some loud voices. Sure. Uh, so, okay, some loud voices, we'll go check it out. And sure enough, it's all hell breaking loose when you get there. So um, you just never really know. So you're in uh, Wetaskiwin. Yeah. And then you transferred, or you are transferred? Transferred to St. Albert. To St. Albert. Yeah. How long were you in St. Albert before your colleague, uh, Constable David Wynn, uh, was shot and killed outside the Apex Casino? Uh, less than a year. So at that point um, in my service, just between my wife and I, uh, we had two young toddlers, or and uh, it was getting to be real hectic to, to run both of us running shift work full time. So I was in the process of sort of re-civilianizing myself. We decided yeah. that I'd go be full-time dad and husband and um cool. it was just sort of in that pro- i was in that process that uh i'd gotten to know the people in saint albert and dave was shot so um it, i mean i just i just couldn't believe it i mean like, how do you like the third time i mean i i just i, I was pretty speechless I, I mean all i did was go into the detachment and say you know what what can i do i mean i know i'm not on the street anymore um, cause I'm sort of transitioning out, but what can, like, what can I do? Uh, you know, and it's just like the, f- the first time it happened, you think it'll never happen again. The second time it happens, you think it'll never happen again. And then you, I'm on my way out and it happens again. I mean, I, I just, I, I don't, I don't want to go to another memorial like that. I've been to the Marathorpe one, you know, the one for James and then the one for Dave there it's just it's a lot did did constable Wynn's murder have anything to do you you had made the decision yeah. to leave already yeah no I was I was sort of transitioning yeah. out I was I went from full active duty to yeah. like a desk to administrative duty just okay. doing things paperwork duty and then I was on my way out so you know that I mean the question that you say you walk into that detachment and and you know what you're doing. This is your career. You've been yeah. in that career at, uh, at that point for, for at least 10 a, years. A decade. Right? About yeah. a decade. Yeah, yeah. Um, so you knew the ins and outs of it. And you're asking, what can I do? You know, there's like at least a million people right now wondering what can they do now? And I saw some people on our street last night had the the uh, LED lights up on the roof line. Everybody, you know, that, that had those had the blue lights on last night. I know that people are wearing the blue and black memorial ribbons 
Um, people are going to be tying ribbons to their car, saluting. I saw here on our on our YouTube live chat right now, somebody letting us know. Tracy says she saw a post about a couple of kids in the city of St. Albert. St. Albert knows all about this. Constable yeah. Wynn was killed uh, not too long ago. It's I mean, I can't believe it was January of 2015. I remember that morning. Uh, I remember doing talk radio that morning. Those are the worst mornings yeah. when, when you're, you have very limited detail. All you know is that there's a family that's forever shattered um, and you're trying to make some sense of it. And this community is hurting. Tracy says in St. Albert, a couple of kids waiting to cross the street yesterday. Uh, police cruiser drove past and the two kids saluted. Uh, she said, that's lovely of them. Good kids. Good parents, says Tracy. I'm inclined to agree. Uh, these little shows of support, I would imagine, go a little bit of a ways, I hope. They do. Um, you know, Every time I've been around one of these things, there's always people coming in with flowers, coffee, food, um, just showing support for stuff, saying hi to you on the street. Um, and they do make a difference. The one thing that I would like to see more is um, not that it has to take a tragedy to get that support from the public sometimes. Um, we get a lot of support from the public after something horrific happens. And it seems like the rest of the time we're kind of can be the enemy at times of the public. I wanted to ask you about that, is that, that police are heavily scrutinized. And, heavily, and, heavily. And for good reason. Yeah. Uh, police need to be held accountable. Oh, yeah. And, uh, and, and I don't feel like this is the time to get into it, but no. this show has talked about some of the issues in policing uh, many times. And that doesn't mean that those issues go away. Uh, but at the same time, uh, you're right. Uh, a profession that is heavily scrutinized is also heavily valued and appreciated. Yeah, and I mean, they're, the men and women are just getting up every day trying to do the best they can and uh sometimes it goes off, sometimes it goes off the rails for them um and they should be held accountable the ones that do do horrific things too but it also when we feel that support from the public it gives us a morale boost and um the last thing you need is low morale because i mean low morale it leads to so many other problems in the detachment and in interactions with the community. Mm. If you go out on your shift feeling like the community already doesn't like you, it's going to be really hard to keep your professionalism up. But if you go out on your shift thinking that the people support me, I'm going to do the best I can. Um, they know I'm going to do the best I can. And uh, when you can feel that, it makes all the difference. Mm. But no. yeah, And we always feel it after a tragedy, after a shooting, after a car accident, after one of ours is killed in the line of duty. The support is crazy. Look on social media. Look everywhere right now. Yeah. Like you said, people saluting, people doing all that stuff. Um, I would like to see that a little bit more when there isn't a tragedy because it helps us. It really does. How old are your kids? Uh, right now, they are 14 and 12. 14 and 12. So, so they so were little guys a, when this happened. Yeah. Dad's a retired RCMP officer. Mom's a, a, a paramedic. In Masquachis, uh, yeah, and uh, and, and stars is going to be up in the up in the air on the yeah. on the most serious calls, yeah, that yeah. that we receive in the province of Alberta with Stars Air Ambulance. Would would you support your kids going into first response? A hundred percent. Yeah, I'd support them no matter what. Your they kid told to do. you they wanted to be a cop. You'd be okay with it. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think it would be it would be a bit of an honor for me that they chose to do that because mm. that's what I chose to do. And I think I could give them some perspectives on what they might face. I mean, it's a different world policing now than it was even 20 years, 15, 20 years ago um, when I first started getting into the process. It's totally different. What's one thing that's really different? Um, I think pr police perception and um, sort of the, the way we're looked at because everybody's got a camera. So you can have, you can have five seconds of an interaction with the public recorded and it goes viral when there was maybe a, that com that uh, interaction lasted for 20 minutes, but you get the five seconds that doesn't look very good and um, it goes viral. So it does. And that's why the body cam thing, they're coming up with body cams. Yeah, the great, province of Alberta has just announced great this, idea. like this week. Great yeah. idea. I mean, we wore body cams in Wetaskiwin and uh, when people try to make frivolous complaints and you say, you show your supervisor, no, body kit like you show them the footage it goes away we and are going to be covering this story and we're going to be talking about this uh in the weeks to come it is on our radar I, I see that a lot of critics are saying that the they believe that the body cam mandate is misguided and costly um i feel like when there's a camera when there's an eye on an entire interaction in my mind and maybe i'm missing something but in my mind that protects everybody everybody yeah i never had a problem wearing a body cam well, what would you be afraid of? <laughs> yeah. I mean, what, you know, if you're, yeah. Um, we talk about social media. We talk about parenting. 
Brett Ryan's mom, Lori, uh, and it's an open post. Uh, Real talkers, if if you'd like to go show your support to the to the Ryan family, of course the Jordan family as well. Uh, but Lori Ryan lost her son, and she posted uh, this just as we're saying this 17 hours ago. Today we lost our youngest son. In the line of duty with EPS, she says, no words can begin to explain how deep our sorrow and pain is. He served his community with pride and commitment. He loved his wife, his unborn baby, his brothers, and us, his parents. He lived all, loved all of his uh, extended family and friends with EPS, uh, EMS, and Edmonton Fire. We want to thank everyone who responded and came to Brett's aid today. The community, family, and friends had one of the best taken from us way too soon. She says, rest in peace, my son. We've been blessed to have you for the past 30 years. But today your loss is unbearable. And she posts these photos. Look at this proud young officer. Yeah. You know, look at this guy with his uh, friends and family, his brothers. Look at this family. An unimaginable loss. Obviously a, a beloved officer as we recognize both of them, Brett Ryan and uh, Travis Jordan. Uh, John, I don't necessarily have the words uh, to convey to you my appreciation, your willingness to talk about this. I don't even know what to say about the loss that you have uh, processed over the course of your policing career, your public service career, but I'm grateful for it. And and it really means a lot that you reached out to the show and that you were willing to talk about it today. Thank you for doing this. Yeah, I'm humbled and honored. And I'm just looking at that last post. One of the first test messages that I got yesterday was from my mom. And she said, you know, sending lots of hugs. Hope you're doing okay. Because it never leaves, right? Yeah. It never leaves. That's John Kirkman, uh, a great friend of this show and a former RCMP officer, 10 years of service with Canada's National Police Service. You can let us know what you think about what you're hearing today by sending us an email to talk at ryanjesperson.com. There is a a service we'd like to let you know about with Alberta Health Services, Grieving Together. Uh, You can call anytime to 780-482-4357. And there's also an online chat that you can check out at distresscenter.com. We're going to convene our Real Talk roundtable. It's a different roundtable than we told you we were going to do yesterday because the circumstances have called for it. And that's coming up in just a moment. Of course, this show happens because we have sponsors like our friends at Eden Landscaping that want to remind you if your summer plan includes entertaining outside, but you've got an outdoor space that desperately, desperately needs an overhaul. Eden Landscaping is the one that we recommend. A custom landscape builder with more than 20 years of on-the-ground experience in Edmonton and area. Whether it's something relatively small, maybe you need some new fencing, maybe you want to bring in that artificial grass that your neighbors have that looks so good, or maybe it's a total overhaul. Eden Landscaping's up for the job. You can get that ball rolling today contact them online that's eden landscaping at landscapeedmonton.ca friesen brothers is ready for you this weekend at 16 different locations across the province of alberta established in 1955 friesen brothers has been putting great food around family dinner tables for many many years and we wanted to let you know about a special they have today and today only On March 17th, Friesen Brothers is running its traditional St. Patrick's Day meat sale. Uh, That's 20% off fresh Alberta beef, Alberta pork, Alberta chicken, and a lot more, including Banja's Smokehouse products, my personal favorites, and Banja's Classic Deli Meats. You can get the details online at Friesen.com. Complete Care Restoration is who we tapped on the shoulder to build this studio. And there were some interesting challenges. You know, when you're in a building that's 110 years old, not everything lines up perfectly. You get the odd water leak. We couldn't have that happening. And so we went to Complete Care because this is their business. You know, this is our only Real Talk sponsor that hopes that you never have to call them. But if you experience flood or fire damage, mold or asbestos removal discovered as a necessary step forward with your home or office renovation, we recommend wholeheartedly Complete Care Restoration. You can find them online today at completecarerestoration.ca. Don't forget, your insurance policy probably stipulates that you can choose who does the work so you know who to take your work to. Speaking of work, if you're a professional engineer and you're absolutely sick of your current situation, your employer doesn't value you, you maybe don't even really see a great deal of inspiration around you, maybe you're not realizing your own professional potential, you want to maximize that, can I ask you to take a couple of seconds to go check out apexautomation.ca? They are always hiring. That's no joke. It's why they've tripled their team in the last three years. 
because more and more professional engineers and automation technologists are looking to Apex to get back their time and to contribute more. Apex puts people over profits and you'll find the proof when you learn more about what they do at apexautomation.ca. And I also wanted to take a second to remind you that our friends at Urban Timber have a beautiful new West Edmonton studio that's open Saturdays from 10 to 4. If you're in the market for a new dining room table, maybe a family table, you're looking for end tables, coffee tables, maybe a boardroom table at the office, they are the ones that designed and built our beautiful Real Talk round table, and they'd love to do the same for you. You can go see them in West Edmonton. You can find the details on that location at urbantimber.ca or shop their showroom online, including that boxcar collection. It's worth a look. These are furniture pieces, one of a kind that are constructed from the boxcar planks. Yeah, that's right. These planks that rode the rails across the country for millions of kilometers, they're scuffed and banged up. It gives them that character. Of course, they're cleaned up and treated with food-safe materials so you'll have a table that'll be the envy of the entire neighborhood. That's Urban Timber Reclaimed Wood. Our Real Talk roundtables are presented by our friends at Urban Timber. And we told you as we wrapped the show yesterday that we were going to be talking politics today. We've had that plan in the books for a while. We were going to bring in political commentators from British Columbia, from Ontario, but it just didn't feel right. When a community experiences a tragic loss, people come together. They call their friends and their family and they talk about it. And that's what we wanted to do today. If you're a longtime listener or a viewer of this show, you know about our group chat roundtable. These are people who participate in a group chat. I'm part of it nearly every single day, sometimes talking about frivolous things and, and sometimes talking about things that are deadly serious. I trust these people all the way through and I really respect their perspectives. And it's an honor to welcome on short notice around the Real Talk Roundtable, the CEO of the YWCA of Edmonton, Catherine O'Neill, former journalist with the Globe and Mail, lawyer Harmon Candola, and political strategist Jarrett Campbell. Thank you all for being here today. Pretty tough to hear John Kirkman sharing his experiences. I, I can't imagine a 10-year career with losses like he experienced. Catherine, you were a, a journalist uh, back when that Mayor Thorpe tragedy unfolded and you were assigned to that story yeah it was a very difficult day and it, yesterday's news brought back a lot of memories of of being up in Marathorpe. i was one of the first reporters to the scene when we thought it was a hostage hostage taking situation and then you know there when we found it that the, these four uh police officers had been killed it it stays with you uh when he talked about you know the families that are involved, the you know, the parents, the the spouses, et cetera, that all those memories flooded back. Um, it's incredibly difficult for just so many people when that that happens. The communities are torn apart and and uh it just uh the grieving is just so profound and it goes on for years and years and years. There was something I mean when 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 that Marathorpe shooting happened, it was like the entire it felt like when we when we say you know we we named today's episode a community and morning community doesn't necessarily stop where the municipal boundaries end to state the very obvious yeah, it was a national international story that that story when when these types of incidents happen when first responders uh fall fall in the line of duty it's a big deal and and when people um, people stop and grieve and you know up in Marathorpe it was a small town so it was you could see it writ large because it was a small town but we knew that the entire country and and folks around the world were, were watching that news so again taking it back to what happened yesterday uh it it you know we were talking in the green room earlier there's not a lot of moments that stop a community in its tracks and I think yesterday was a reminder that things like this still really um stop the community on tracks and and has the ability to pull people together um and to rally around these families that are going to be grieving yeah it sort of it sort of felt like that it, it comes in waves and, and i i don't want to diminish what the actual friends and family of these officers experience i didn't know these two men i didn't know travis jordan or brett ryan personally who knows if we ever passed them in the street i mean the the, the shooting the killings occurred just blocks from our house quite honestly so that was something that made it feel a little bit more visceral but nothing like what their friends or family are, are, are experiencing but at first you hear jared that two police officers have been killed and then you hear the names 
and then you see the photos and then you start to hear the stories you know, one of them is his wife, a nurse. They're expecting, you know, they, they were talking about, we hear about their roles that they were playing in, in minor hockey or their community contributions. How are you? I mean, it's just been, what, less than 36 hours since this happened. You just as a, as a community member, what were you thinking about yesterday? What are you thinking about right now? Yeah, it's, it's just so sad, right? It's, you know, I um, had a coffee with, a, with the city councilor set up first thing uh, yesterday morning. And like, right, like I'm, I'm, I'm basically getting out of bed and I get a text like, hey, like something happened last night and I need to, and I need to, you know, cancel this because I need to get to a press conference. And like, it's just you stop. You just like, you know, the it's like the, you know, in the in the movie when the record stops. Right. And you go and you and you read the text message, you know, two two police officers were killed last night. And it's like you stop. And then and it's it's this weird sort of, you know, it's bad. You know, it's going to get worse. The, the story's going to come out. But the, the tragedy is is set the second you hear that. Mm-hmm. And, and, um, you know, you, okay, well, I still have to, you know, go about my day and, you know, get my kid to daycare. And in the back of your mind, you you know, the details are going to come and everybody start, you know, in the, in, in our group chat and in the other group chats, I'm in, you start to see it on social media. And it really is this, this moment of, of humanity where the whole community does kind of stop and everybody has that collective feeling of like, there are very few things that we find anymore that we do so collectively. Right? Mm. We all we all have our own news sources and we all have our little you know fiefdoms that we all get information from. And it was like there's almost nothing that we would experience as a society that would really take it and just say, you know, we're all together here, everybody. And it doesn't matter what your political stripe is. It doesn't matter where you're from. You know, we all know that there are things in our you know there are first responders that are there protecting our communities, but every community, everybody, everybody, and it doesn't matter where you are, has a police officer, has an ambulance driver, has mm. somebody, so we can all experience that because those are the folks that are waking up every day and, and also you know, keeping us safe and what that means. You know, my, I'm not at risk. I'm, I'm gonna come home at the end of my day, but there's somebody that isn't in that position keeping me safe every day. And I think that collective humanity and how everything else just kind of seems a little bit trivial. You know, you go to, you know, so you go sit at your desk and you sit there and you go, you know, does it matter? Mm. And it does. And you got, and you got to move on. And, and you know, and uh, even the police chief yesterday, you know, had some comments, you know, we will move on because we always do. And we always do. But I think that, you know, taking that moment, taking that, that day, that couple of days um, as a community to sort of remind ourselves of uh, some of the, some of the important things with humanity. Mm. I can tell your heart's heavy and I appreciate you being willing to talk about it. Harmon, where's your head at? Where's your heart at today? Yeah, you know, Ryan, yesterday when I, I, I watched the press conference, obviously see it come up um, yesterday, first thing in the morning, and you hear the names, you, you hear their ages, you realize, you know, Constable Ryan, Constable Jordan, younger than I was. Yeah. You know, um, they, you know, Constable Ryan expecting as a father of, of three children, you know, you, you start to immediately start to connect and relate um, you know, and you, you hear the location, how many times have, you know, it's everyone in Edmonton, Edmonton is still a, a small city, you know, you've driven by those areas, you know, those, those neighborhoods. Um, and it, it, it just becomes a moment where you stop, uh, and, and you realize that in that moment, as you watch that press conference that so many EPS officers yesterday had to still go to work. Right, they they didn't get that moment to to stop and and um you, you know take that time to mourn because their duty have forced them to still be out there to protect us and and like Jarrett was saying, um I I think that's where my heart was um yesterday and today is thinking about all of those people in first response who were out there right now, um protecting us, keeping us safe, and doing their job. And for for so many of the rest of us, this is a moment for us to remember that let's rally around them. Let's be a community in mourning. Um, you know, let's keep Edmonton a city that still feels like a small city, still feels like a place that we care about one another um, and we care about the people that make up our community. And, you know, 
as you hear these details come out and the tragedy, I mean, we were just in the green room next um, next door, and as we saw the photos of Constable Ryan and the post of his mother, I, I mean, it, it's hard to keep your emotions um, together, um, you know. And we all, I mean, we all suffer for su- have suffered loss and suffer loss, but in a situation like this, I think you know our hearts go out to um, the families uh, of the constables. Um, our hearts go out to the first responders who are out there today um, still doing their job. And, you know, just unspeakable, um, the tragedy that happened. In you, and as you hear more of the details, it just becomes so much more difficult um, to, 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 to hear what happened um, and not just be broken. I was grateful that uh, John Kirkman, when he sat in here, he brought it up. I wanted to ask him about it in as sensitive or you know responsible way as possible. But it's interesting that it is a profession, policing, that is so heavily scrutinized. And that scrutiny is important. So important. And, you know, as, sorry, Ryan. No, but, I mean, but I, I know where you're I know where you're going. Like the accountability, there's. There are a lot of really hard questions that need to be asked. I go back to my Mayor Thorpe experience where in the the weeks and months to follow that tragedy, questions around training, was it sufficient? You know, where did these guns come from? How was the call handled? All of these things, these are really important questions. The accountability is going to be there. And it took for in the case of Mayor Thorpe and other police shootings, it takes years for you to get real answers. So Back to what Harmon said, the grieving process, we have to let that happen. It's really, really important for the community. Um, and people will know that these hard questions are going to be answered and will be answered thoroughly. But um, you can't miss this step. Yeah. Uh, and it's really um, just a disservice to all of anyone in uniform if, if you you miss this step. But but I, I have a lot of questions. You know, it's, you know, to hear that it possibly was a 16-year-old, you know, as a uh, CEO of YWCA Edmonton, we deal with family violence in the aftermath of it every day. We do a ton of work around violence prevention, uh, around violence pre- uh, recovery. And um, I have a lot of questions about this case already. Um, and those will be answered in due course, yeah. but we have to, we have to have this period. And I think of, and, and again, I want to reiterate here and, and um, you know, we, 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 this is a conversation among friends. You want to be so careful. And I know you're being careful. I mean, you can tell the, 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 the journalist in you, yeah. uh, it, it, it impacts how you're thinking. And so, you, you know, it's important to use words like allegedly or yeah. unproven or, or we don't know yet. And, 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 a, and a platform like this needs to act responsibly, because if we start talking about things that wind up not being true, we were holding a lot of our comments yesterday. We appreciate people sending us tips, letting us know what they're hearing. We haven't verified it. You wait for police to confirm it. You wait for investigators. But but let me say this, just as friends mm-hmm. sitting around a table, if we can treat it like that context, you know, it sounds like, and I've heard the word ambushed used, mm-hmm. it sounds like these officers were ambushed and I've and I've heard it reported and it's not been verified I don't know yet but if it is indeed true that these officers did not even have time to draw their weapons Mm -hmm. if that is true uh, the word ambush seems to fit and so then here's the point I make we oftentimes and I'm not a policing expert and this is not we're not going to get into tactical strategy and training because none of us are experts in that but we do know that police are oftentimes criticized for use of force And I am not dismissing those criticisms. And it's important to talk about that. But in a situation like this, had the officers entered that apartment building with guns drawn, potentially they wouldn't be dead. However, if the situation did not call for it, if there wasn't a firearm involved or if they weren't, if they didn't have their lives at risk because hindsight's 2020 and they did enter with guns drawn, people might go what the hell are you doing with your guns drawn? And these are the types of situations where I don't think as civilians, we can really understand what that job entails. Yeah, and that's that. those are all really good questions. In the case of Marathope, it, it ended up, it was an ambush. And so there were a lot of learnings around training and and just how you treat different situations uh, when you're a police, and and there is extensive training, but there could always it could always be better. And so again, yeah, when you hear potentially this was an ambush, the fact that there was a gun involved, the the fact it was a minor, was this a semi-automatic? Where would a gun like that come from? Like there are just a so many questions that, that as a community we all need to have answered and. 
first and foremost for the police, because we can never have something like this happen again. So for police safety and for them to go every day to do their job, the learnings from this will be very, very important. And there will be inquests, there will be many public accountings of what happened. Um, and so, yeah, I, I had the exact same question, you know, how, you know, why were the guns not drawn? What was the call like? All of those things. We'll, we'll know these answers soon yeah. and in due course. I hope this question doesn't come across as tacky, um, but when I think of a situation like this, I, I wonder about what this does to young people that are maybe considering a career in policing. I thought it was interesting to talk to John Kirkman and pick his brain. I asked him, I know you heard in the green room, I said, you, you know, your, your kids, your teenagers, if they wanted to go into policing, would you support them? He says, absolutely. And you kind of wonder, you know, with with everything that, that that job entails now and everything that's involved and the risks that are inherent. I mean, we could ask the same about members of our armed forces. Um, I don't know. Maybe police, we don't need to compare it, but maybe police encounter more danger on a day-to-day basis, but then members of our armed forces enter scenarios internationally that are just, I mean, we, and we've encountered training accidents. And I mean, there's all kinds of things. Journalists have been killed. And I mean, obviously we, we think of uh, former colleagues that Michelle, have been, Michelle um, I just I wonder about the the future of, of policing and, and and what something like this does. You know, I bet you though also that it strengthens the resolve of some people that are considering that career, that recognize the need for men and women to go to work every single day in service of their community. Well, and, and you know, you, you heard um, John talk about how the context of being a police officer has changed as well. Um, and he he brings up that that additional scrutiny. He brings up you know social media. He brings up um, issues, and I think it's a moment for us to remember that you know having empathy towards the people who put their lives on the line every single day is so important when we talk about these issues. Um, even in the past, you know, it was a conversation that Jared and I were having that. My frustration with so much of the conversation around, you know, police accountability in the past in the city of Edmonton has been about the vilification of of, of police. Um, you know, it's uh, there in that that photo of um, Constable Ryan's mother putting up her post reminds people that every single one of them is someone's child, right? Someone's son or daughter who's putting their life on the line. Um, and, you know, you see there has been, you know, in the last few months, articles about the proliferation of gun violence in Edmonton, um, the issue of, you know, rising issues with uh, how to track ghost guns, right? My, the first question that comes to my mind, um, Ryan, is how did a 16-year-old get a gun? You know, in the U.S., it's a different context. Nobody's asking that question in the yeah. U.S., right? I think in, a, in, a, in, in Canada, we're going to, the first question is, how does the 16-year-old have a gun? Um it in but you see just a few days ago there's articles about the rise of ghost guns and the challenges that police are facing from what are those harmon like the illegal ones that cross the border the ones with Not, the serial numbers filed off what are ghosts yeah guns? so some of them that are put together through 3d printing oh. some of that are that are put together that are with parts that are untraceable right um you know that it's, it's you can't actually uh, find the origination of this this is not your typical illegal gun that comes through you know in windsor or ontario border um where so many illegal guns are, are traced to no this is a whole new um group of uh, of guns and and, and we- uh, firearms that police are having difficulty understanding where they're coming from and so it's putting um it's putting guns in the hands of um young people and and i think there's that's the first question that came to my mind um because you know, gun violence is so senseless. And when we see this in, in Edmonton, it makes people start to wonder what's happening. Um, and, you know, you saw just days before uh, at the Pizza Hut, uh, you know, that was just across the street from this apartment complex where uh, a worker was shot. You know, and, and I, I think about the people who are working in retail every single day. You know, um, again, a conversation we we're having in the green room right before this. It's, it, it, it's, it, it doesn't affect us, you know, and, and um, we go to our nice office job and we know we're going home at the end of the day. Uh, but my heart goes out to, um, you know, those who are who face this danger. Do any of you have an opinion on this this initiative for all Alberta law enforcement officers to be wearing body cameras? Does anybody have a strong opinion either way on whether or not this is a good I mean, I'm seeing critics calling it costly and misguided. Personally, I mean, from a journalist, a former journalist perspective, I think it's it's really neat and important. Everyone has a camera. And as as John said, if you take five minutes at a contact, if someone's filming on the street, 
to, for the uh, for for police to be wearing it, I think it's important because it's an important document that would could be submitted into uh, trials if needed. And it's also, I think, uh, p- almost its own policing effort because I think if you're a bad actor and you're an officer and and you know you have a camera on you, I I think it would be a deterrent. Totally. So I I think it's highly needed. Definitely in the age of social media and, and information explosion, um, that there is that uh, just another viewpoint on on a, a crime or a p- potential crime or an incident in our community. So I think it's over like the cost is really necessary. And I think it's, uh, it's something that's long overdue in Alberta. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think anything anything that can, you know, it seems like there's been you know, and we've seen all the conversations over the last few years, especially in Edmonton, you know, trust, right? And, and anything that can increase trust, I think is important uh, as a tool. Now, um, I, you know, I'm not an expert. I know that there are some, you know, very smart people on either side of this one. Yeah. Uh, I would probably lean towards, I think it's a good idea, um, you know, and I think I think when they looked at it last time, some of the issues were, were just technical, you know, and so even if they aren't solved today, they are like cameras are getting lighter and smaller and and they're talking about the cost of, and, of how much storage for the cloud and the videos yeah, and all right. that kind of stuff you know, I mean, it, it sounds like you can figure well, that like, out yeah exactly <laughs> you know like what's our budget and what's the percentage of this budget that's going to go to storage and you know can we put this thing on the cloud and you know what are we really talking well, about and what's the here? cost of not having it yeah absolutely right and and i think that you know it it that trust and having you know the the ability for the citizens of edmonton to, to have the trust but also for the police to have the trust of the citizens i mean it's gonna the whole system works better when everybody's kind of you know working together and it feels like we haven't been doing that for the last couple of years and and, and you know and, and some of the folks on, on either side have their you know good and bad points and, and without going into that today um you know, but in general, higher levels of trust, I think, are going to work out better for everybody. Yeah. Lorraine on our live chat says this constant criticism must be hard on the good officers mental health. Uh, Mike says officers are damned if they do, damned if they don't. And when it comes to drawing guns, he's referencing my, my comment earlier, my musing earlier. He says, it, of course, it depends on the outcome. Uh, you know, Mike says I would draw mine 100 percent of the time. But but you can't like you can't you can't. You know, I mean, or can you like, I don't think the public attitude is there that if you're pulling someone over for a traffic violation that you have your weapon drawn. But I think of I mean, I grew up in Calgary. I remember I don't remember the exact date. I apologize. But I remember a police officer shot and killed on Memorial Drive. Standard traffic stop. Walked up to the car. Boom. Lights out. Like, you know, anyway, I I don't want to turn this into that conversation. Um but I do think that these are important things to talk about. And, and KO, if you don't mind, I mean, you're CEO of YWCA of Edmonton. You know, Tara Lynn here on our live chat says, I, you know, these are all big questions. You know, I'm thinking more and more like what happened in that child's life, the 16-year-old. We don't know. And we're not going to speculate. I'm not asking you to speculate. But what happened in that child's life to bring him to that point? Exactly. And and those are those are those questions I'm asking myself and our, our team at The Y is asking right now because – Family violence, and particularly uh, since COVID, and um, there's a lot going on in our community. There's a lot of pain in our community. We're seeing it on the daily. We do counseling services for folks. We have affordable, often free mental health supports for folks leaving family violence, domestic violence. And we're seeing really severe cases right now. We are seeing cases, really, really severe, a um, lot of trauma and just a lot, a lot of pain. And there's a lot of root causes, intergenerational trauma, um, the poverty, et cetera, et cetera. And we, you know, I always, I'm always that person who's, what's the systemic changes we can be making in our community? We have a lot of great services and programs that help deal with the trauma when we see it. But I really think we all as a community need to think, how do we go upstream and how do we ensure that we aren't seeing this level of pain in our community? And obviously something very dark has happened in this family's history. Um, And again, we will learn a lot more in the coming weeks and months to come, but uh, we can't just look at it from this isolated incident perspective. We have to look at those root causes that I said and really, really invest in how we confront those issues. I want to thank the three of you. Typically, when when we get together, we would talk some politics and we talk some maybe some some silliness as well. But it's just today feels a little bit different. And I just needed three people that I care about and I trust to just sit around the table with me. And quite frankly, to, to my heart's in my throat, too. And to debrief uh, what we heard from John 
and uh, and about his his career in service as as an officer and uh, someone who's experienced loss. And um, I just really appreciate the three of you. I appreciate your willingness to do this on short notice and and to talk about something that although we did not know these officers personally, still feels so personal. Mm-hmm. It's a loss that's being experienced by the entire community. Um, these are my dear friends, Jarrett Campbell, Harmon Candola, and Catherine O'Neill, <clears throat> members of our private group chat who are willing to go on the record every once in a while with the group chat roundtable. Much love to the three of you. And have, have a weekend hugging your loved ones. Much love, yeah, Ryan. Absolutely. You got it. This conversation is uh, presented, of course, by our friends at Urban Timber, who sponsor the Real Talk Roundtable every week. We've also got other valued sponsors who make sure that this show continues week in and week out. And that includes the family-owned business that is Park Power, your friendly local utilities provider. If your family is one of the millions of families across the country right now that's uh, trying to tighten the purse strings, is, is trying to stretch the dollars further, take two minutes this weekend to check out parkpower.ca where you can compare rates on electricity, natural gas, and internet. I can virtually guarantee that you're going to pay less for these utilities with Park Power than you will anywhere else. It doesn't cost to change over. And also, when you sign up with Park Power, if you find for whatever reason that you want to take your business elsewhere, you're never locked into the contract. That's how confident they are in their business. The promo code REALTALK23 is going to knock $50 off your first bill for every service you sign up for. It's a bundling Promo code. So that means if you bring your electricity, natural gas, and internet business over to Park Power, $150 knocked off your first bill with the promo code REALTALK23 at parkpower.ca. It also makes sense to get solar panels up on your roof with Kubi Renewable Energy. They're the busiest and most reputable solar installer in Western Canada. They actually have a partnership with Park Power. It's the Solar Club. So in the summer months when the sun is shining late into the evening and your solar power system is generating more power than you need, these two companies collaborate to make sure that you're getting as much money back as possible, more than the big guys are going to pay you. Why go with solar? Well, it, it, of course, increases the supply of renewable energy to your city. It increases the value of your property. You have energy independence when rates fluctuate, right? And of course, the environmental benefits are obvious. You can get your free quote today. Learn more about that Canada Greener Homes Grant. Interest-free loans to get solar up on your roof at kubienergy.ca. If you're looking for a quick bite this weekend, can we recommend the Dairy Queens of Northwest Edmonton and Sherwood Park? Their classic lineup, the Signature Stack Burgers at the Dairy Queens in Palisades, Nemeo, Newcastle, Westmount, and Baseline Road include my personal favorite. That's the Bacon Two Cheese Deluxe. Of course, if you like a little more spice in your life, there's the Flamethrower Signature Stack Burger. If onion rings are your thing, the Loaded Steakhouse Signature Stack Burger is your go-to. And of course, the Mushroom Cheeseburger, the Signature Stack Burger for mushroom lovers at the Dairy Queens of Northwest Edmonton and Sherwood Park. Friends, can I keep it real with you? feels weird to do trash talk this week. It, it feels weird to blow off steam and, and put on my monster truck voice and feign anger for the purposes of comedy and to read what you're all ticked off about. But there's one here that might allow us to just sort of blow off a little steam. You know, we had one submission about policing. I'm not, I'm not going to read that this week. We had a couple about politics. We can read that in weeks to come. They'll age well, but there's one here about affordable tuition and and the cost of post-secondary. And, and sometimes it feels good to just turn the channel for a little bit. Sometimes it feels good to like vent a little bit and, and, and to express ourselves. And, and so I'm going to go ahead with it with your permission. It's a, a tradition every Friday and it's presented by our friends at local environmental services. It's a tradition we call trash talk. All right. This one's from Jocelyn who, who writes in as the frustrated parent of an adult student. She says, Nate Right here in Edmonton, in its infinite wisdom, has decided to transition to a BYOD. That's a bring your own digital for their digital marketing and IT program. It's one of the most technology-centric programs, but you got to bring your own digital. She says tuition fees are going up by, again, approximately 6% this fall. Computers being pulled from the classroom. Students are going to have to invest two, dollars $3,000 for the minimum allowable specs laptop, plus licensing fees for all the software. 
Now, I guess if the student was first year, first semester, you could argue that it might be worth it. They could use it through the program. But these are a lot of students that are graduating. They're heading into their final semester. They may not even be able to afford to wrap up their time in the program. Last semester, the students required to enter into a work experience program called Capstone. Uh, They go work for an organization for four months, five days a week, eight hours a day for no pay. So not only are they having to pay increased tuition, purchase a new laptop, work for free, they're not eligible for student loans because they're only taking one course, they're not full-time, but they don't even have time to keep their current employment to put food on their table. Says, and don't even get me into lack of internet access in the HP building where this program is instructed. They've got a hard time keeping up with bandwidth demand. What is going on? Wonders Jocelyn. How on earth does Nate believe that this is positive for this program? In the school of business where programs consist of like Excel, Word, Office, accounting programs, I get it. But in a high-tech program like this, doesn't it make sense to phase it in over the next three years? Start with first-year students. Let them transition out. It works for everybody. Are they even listening to starving students? Jocelyn says, my experience tells me no. They shrug and say, if you want it, you got to pay for it. She says, I'm hoping to kickstart conversation through Trash Talk right here on Real Talk. Jocelyn, we thank you for your email. You can send your trash talk into the show anytime to talk at ryanjesperson.com. It's proudly presented by our friends at Local Environmental Services who encourage you to keep it local with garbage recycling and so much more in Alberta and Saskatchewan. John and I are going to take some time off to be with our families over this next week. Real Talk will be back the Monday after, and you can, of course, keep it locked to our social media channels in particular our twitter at real talk rj for updates on the show we encourage you to send us your thoughts including the very serious heartfelt ones this is a community hurting we're part of that community and we're proud to be here with you as we navigate these difficult circumstances from our families to yours much love and thank you for making this episode of real talk part of your friday we'll talk to you soon Real Talk is hosted by Ryan Jesperson, Executive Producer Josh Dunford, Technical Producer John Hicks, General Manager Katie Cook-Chivers, Account Coordinator Lawrence Durlego, Human Resources Lena Shepard, Website Design Mike Johnston, VoiceOver by me, Terry Skelton. Real Talk's editorial board is Supriya Duvetti, Ahmed Ali, Randy Morin, Ann Castleman, Corey Hogan, Harmon Candola, Catherine O'Neill, and Chris Henderson. Member Emerita, Julie Rohr. Real Talk is recorded in Edmonton, Alberta, on Treaty 6 territory, the traditional and ancestral territory of the Cree, Dene, Blackfoot, Soto, and Nakota Sioux, home to the Métis settlements and the Métis Nation of Alberta. Real Talk is a relay project. For more, check out ryanjasperson.com.